there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast, the Extreme Makeover Edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell, back in my hosting seat just a few short days after the special episode we recorded after the PC leadership vote. With me this week to bring us up to date on what has happened since Prentice seized the PC mantle, our columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. Senior reporter Sheila Pratt. Greetings. And health reporter Keith Durine. You know, Sarah, after guest hosting for you a couple of times, I am so glad to be back in the <laughs> guest seat. <laughs> I'm glad to have you back in the guest seat because you're always an excellent guest. Thank Thanks you. for coming. Well, we called this the extreme makeover edition because there seemed to be some changes going on over at the legislature. So Jim Prentice's transition into the premier's office is our obvious topic for today. But we also would like to review what's going on in the healthcare realm. We've had a healthcare related auditor general's report and another change at the top of the AHS food chain and the reappearance of one of the most controversial Alberta Health Services figures, Stephen Duckett. But let's start at the Premier's office and get a sense of what's been happening since Jim Prentice won the leadership vote last weekend with 77% of the PC vote. H- how would you guys characterize this first few days of transition? I know we haven't officially had the swearing in yet, this this time of transition. Well, you know, Sarah, when you give birth to a baby, as, as you and Sheila will recall, the, the, you know, the doctor and the midwife called the really icky bit between the contractions and the pushing out the baby, the transition. And maybe that's the apt <laughs> metaphor for this. I mean, and uh, everyone <laughs> turns off their iPhones. <laughs> tra- tra- transitions can be hard for everybody involved, and they can be painful for everybody involved. But this one is shaping up in some interesting and, for me, unexpected directions. Hi, everyone. It's Sarah, interrupting this episode on Friday, because just as I was about to post the podcast, Premier Dave Hancock made a pretty big announcement sticking with our theme of unexpected transitions. Paul is here with me in the studio again. Paul, (laughs) tell me what just happened. Well, this is very meta, breaking down the fourth wall. Well, this morning, Dave Hancock surprised a lot of people. He certainly surprised me by announcing that not only that he's retiring as premier, but he's leaving politics completely. He's stepping down immediately as MLA for Edmonton White Mud, which will occasion a by-election in White Mud sooner than later. Right. And so I think the big, the biggest surprise for me is that he's leaving immediately. I thought he'd at least stick around to 2016. Why do you think he's stepping away right now? What did he say at the press conference? Well, he talked about the fact that Alberta can't have two premiers, which is a bit disingenuous. Hancock is a scholar of constitutional law and parliamentary procedure. He knows perfectly well there's lots of precedents for a former premier to be there to provide the transition. You think about Joe Clark and Brian Mulroney and what a successful tag team they were. I think what's really happened here is that Jim Prentice needs to create the perception that he's got a brand new party and that Hancock is far too tainted with his loyalty to Alison Redford and the Redford legacy. You know, it, it might be an interesting strategic move for Prentice to to disassociate himself. I think in a way, though, it will hamper Prentice because Dave Hancock is the institutional memory of that party. Um, he would have been very useful, I think, as part of a transition team, but it's clear that Prentice is sending a signal he wants to clear the boards. Well, we will see what happens in Edmonton White Mud in coming days. We know what we'll have to talk about next week on the Press Gallery. But right now, let's continue with the conversation we had on Thursday. 
Okay, what, which, what do you mean? Well, it began with the appointment of uh, Mr. Prentice's transition team, which didn't include what you'd call a rounding up of the usual suspects. Uh, it includes Stephen Mandel, the former mayor of Edmonton, who, of course, was an outspoken, scathing critic of uh, Alison Redford's time in office. Uh, it includes uh, MLA Robin Campbell, who is the party whip and and does have some profile within the party, but hasn't had a senior cabinet role in, in either the Redford or the Stelmack eras. Oil executive Tim Hearn from Calgary, so perhaps that's not a wholly unexpected uh, appointment. Robert Seidel, who's an Edmonton lawyer, um, uh, long time affiliated with the with the Tories, but known primarily, I guess, for his work on governance structure. That's kind of his expertise as a lawyer. And then Calgary businesswoman Sarah Race, who uh, used to be with TransCanada, is on the board of Shoppers Drug Mart and Law Blaws, and interestingly is married to a former liberal MLA, Danny DeLongo, who was a liberal MLA from Calgary in the 1990s. <laughs> so it wasn't the names and the faces that we're used to seeing. It's shaking things up a bit. It's bringing in some people with some slightly unexpected backgrounds. And, and tell me about, that. we found out more about who his team is going to be moving forward just a, a few minutes ago before we sat down to record. Uh, yes, uh, just minutes ago we heard uh, Patty Masuka moving right in. The, as we know, Mandel's former uh, chief, chief, staff. chief of staff. They calling her, they calling they're calling Patricia his the principal secretary, principal, yeah, yeah. and and Mike Percy as the chief of staff. So there's two prominent Edmontonians in there. Um, Mike, though we know, you know Percy has liberal connections and was a liberal MLA. Yeah, he was a liberal MLA in in the the 1990s. He's a professor, a PhD in economics. A former dean of business, former president of the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce. So somebody who certainly, although a liberal MLA, was to the right of the liberal party, as was DeLongo. Uh, but um, Percy uh, is the kind of person that, you know, you wouldn't have ever seen in a Ralph Klein inner circle. A PhD, somebody who actually cares about post-secondary education and somebody who... Oh, who yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, and somebody who is certainly... Uh, liberal on uh, social issues. Hmm. What message do you think the makeup and size of his transition team and now that the latest pieces that are falling into place for his staff say about what kind of government we're going to see from from Prentice? Well off the start I mean it it sounds like it's a message that we're he wants to do things differently he, he wants to present a different face of the PC party. My comment though is we've seen this before Alison Redford came into office saying exactly the same things and a lot of it didn't come to pass. And I think the other thing to mention from this transition period is Prentice has taken time to meet with the big city mayors mm. already, right? And that's a little unusual. Again, we'll see if that, you know, that appearance turns into actual action later on, but it is, it is sort of different uh, to see him do that. Right. All those, those, you know, highly vocal big city mayors were smiling at the end of both those meetings. So that was... Yeah. starting point, I, I guess. guess. Strategically, they're going to come out smiling no matter what happened inside <laughs> there. I, mean, I, I do want to say that Prentice hasn't exactly had a bump-free week. Um, there was this little moment uh, I think we're about to talk about restructuring in the uh, in Alberta Health Services. For the yes, umpteenth, we'll get there. We'll the get there. For yes. the umpteenth time. But, you know, he was asked something about that. And uh, when asked what was going to happen with health, he said, we need to start with a new minister, blah, blah, blah. And then when asked what that meant for Fred Horn, he said... Um, he was not saying that Horn would necessarily be replaced. Oh, so um, <laughs> well, yes, I guess um, we'll, I guess we'll see. I wanted to ask you guys, 
what what you think about the cabinet question because I think that is one of the big questions that's still outstanding. We we got a sense from Prentice during the campaign that uh, his cabinet will certainly be smaller. But do you think Albertans have any better idea as of Thursday who might actually be in that cabinet? It's really hard to say. I mean, selfishly, I'm, of course, looking at the health portfolio because I've, I've been dealing with Fred Horn and his people the last few, uh, last couple of years. Um, it very much sounds like Fred Horn is not going to be the health minister anymore. Um, and say what you want about him, but uh, Horn did sort of bring a, a knowledge to that that portfolio. He uh, He's certainly well-read. He had an understanding of the direction of, of various health systems, made his fair share of mistakes as well. But I don't think there's anyone else in that PC caucus right now that can bring that kind of um, that pedigree to the job, except for maybe Ken Hughes, who was the former chair of AHS. And of course, we hear today that he's taken himself out of the running. Right, because he be for he, cabinet. He put out that announcement saying that he does not plan to run again in 2016, and therefore will not stand for a cabinet post because he doesn't think that would be appropriate. That's right. right. Actually, I think he's got some really tough decisions to make because he's got to find a treasurer. There are several people he's really got to think about, one being Doug Horner, in or out, and that's going to really uh, um, play. that. Whatever does, he decides on that is a big concern to the Edmonton area. Um, I mean, Horner carries a lot of baggage. He's had a lot of knocks from the Auditor General. On the other hand, he's still very popular out in... Um, Metro land where he's got a big base. Mm-hmm. And so his his dilemma is how do you put the new face on a caucus that has all Redford era people and that he doesn't even know them very well. You know, and yeah. then he's got the challenge that anybody has after a leadership race. You know, you see this in every party and every government. What do you do with the people who ran against you for the leadership? Thomas Lukasik has been... Um, blunt but not exactly what you'd call diplomatic in saying you know if he's not in cabinet that's just fine with him and and I think it just might be fine with him because I I can't see how Lukasik goes back into apprentice cabinet after that race Mm. Um, and for McIver uh, again I mean he's the guy who took out the ad saying that Prentice was unethical. Oh, that's yet, such old news, Paula. That's yeah. so last week. <laughs> and, and, and yet, you know, there's that old expression, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. There's a pretty good strategic argument to be made to keep Thomas Lukasik where you can keep a good eye on him. Uh, I know that's why I keep all of you guys in the room with me every week yeah, so no, I can right. keep my but, eye but, on but, you. But, you know, the Fred Horn issue, you know, Fred, it's, it epitomizes the challenge that any leader faces. Fred Horn is actually one of the smartest guys in that cabinet and somebody who actually has some media savvy. His problem, I think, Keith, is that he knew too much about the health portfolio and he tried to micromanage everything instead of delegating to other people and letting them get on with their jobs. I mean, I think he was a control freak who wanted his hands on every button and every lever. And, you know, I I think that came, came back to bite him. And yet to turf him from cabinet altogether, I think, would be a mistake because I think he is actually one of the smartest and more competent members of that caucus. Before I let you drag us down the healthcare road, yeah. as I can see you all desperately want to do. What do you think the likelihood is that he will actually bring in outside people to serve as cabinet ministers? I mean, I know that we've heard Stephen Mandel's name, you know, floated as a possibility of someone who might go from transition to cabinet minister without a seat in the legislature. I, you know, it's all spec right now. I don't get a sense of how seriously they're, he's toying with that idea. Perhaps someone could place phone calls to some of these new people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's pretty serious. He's yeah. mentioned uh, Mandel many times in, in Calgary as well. I think he really wants him, and he thinks that that's going to... I mean, you know, Prentice doesn't have the aura up here he does in Calgary. I mean, yeah. you know, the Calgary business community especially is completely rallied around him. Would that be the so. worst thing ever if, if he did that, if he appointed 
uh, unelected people to serve as cabinet ministers? Well, they'd have to have by-elections very quickly. Mm. So there would be criticism for short term, but in the long term, it might be it might work just fine. Mm. It's definitely a messy step to do that because you, you know, you're basically passing over these people who are elected to people, you know, it's for true. people who are unelected. And if you do have to have by-elections very quickly, you're going to have to force some people to resign their seats. And uh, you see, it is an interesting. There is plenty because I, I looked into this little parliamentary procedure nerd that I am. Uh, there is lots of precedent in the Westminster parliamentary system, both in Britain and in Canada, for having what they call external cabinet ministers, experts that you appoint, especially in a time of crisis. Um, you know, I think one of the most famous ones was William Lyon Mackenzie King appointed Louis Saint Laurent when he needed a Quebec lieutenant who would push forward conscription. Well, that's 1941. So this hmm. doesn't this doesn't happen a lot, and you usually have to be able to explain to the public why this person has an expertise or a skill set or a, a regional perspective that you can't get in any other way. To bring in someone like Mandel, who was wildly critical of many members of this caucus, and you know, some people were speculating Mandel is deputy premier, and I'm trying to imagine how that would go over in the caucus room when you know, guy who has been um, uh, very outspokenly critical of them comes in to be the boss of them. Oh, that could be very interesting. Well, I think another factor is there's a lot of ambitious people, young, younger backbenchers out there from the metro area as well and they they won't uh be real happy if they're passed over for um, Mandel who carries cer certainly carries weight in Edmonton maybe isn't so well loved amongst people like Jackie Fenske you know so I I think that I think he probably will do it but it will create some issues and really he absolutely has to have some new faces in that cabinet and uh if he doesn't he his whole thing about this is new government is not going to have any credibility so he's going to have to bring some of them in there's no question how do you think the opposition parties have handled the dawn of the prentice era in this first few days i know that some of them did come out swinging on this idea of uh, you know unelected cabinet ministers it's been pretty quiet so far honestly and i don't know if they're just still struggling to figure out how to play prentice or whether they're saving up their ammunition for when session starts or for when the by-elections get going but so far i think they there it's still a feeling out period they're they've thrown a few sort of hand grenades his way but uh, nothing that i think uh, is sticking just yet no I mean, the wild rose today was bringing up issues about spending habits of you know, a couple of backbench Edmonton area MLAs. I don't know how much that's going to stick, given that that you know is is old news now. Um, the uh, New Democrats contacted me this week and said, you know, Rachel Notley had a big policy announcement. It was going to be a shot across Jim Prentice's bow, and I was eager to hear what it was. And it was a promise to fund a pilot program for. Uh, breakfasts for underprivileged kids, which, let me say, I'm all in favor of feeding underprivileged kids, and I think a $60 million pilot program to fund school breakfasts is a fine idea, but I don't think it, you know, if that's the shot across the bow, I don't think he's hiding below decks. Mm. Is that more of a, I thought maybe that was more for the leadership race, like she's trying to, she's trying to work that into yeah, the, but the drum up interest for, in the well, leadership I, actually, race. I think that's not a bad strategy. I mean, Prentice has come out, he came out in the leadership race pretty firmly on the right wing of the party, and his, his strategy has been to move the party right to meet the wild rose thing so I, I i didn't think rachel was too far off the the mark on that the problem is the ndp really needs some attention right now their leadership race is going into its last few weeks and i think they're hoping to get that but for the next week it's still going to be on prentice mm. they're going to still have a hard time well and 
Alberta Health Services, as you have talked about repeatedly. <laughs> now we can go there. I'll, I'll release the release, <laughs> release the, the hound. That's right. right. Uh, Alberta Health Services has also been trying to pull some of that focus. It seems this week. Well, maybe not on purpose. Um, tell me. Keith, about the Auditor General's report this week. What did Merwin Saher give us to chew on? Yeah, well, this was the second, uh, I think, very strong report we've seen from the Auditor in the last month. Um, it was very direct, simple language that tries to get across a message that most Albertans can understand. Uh, the last one, of course, was on government airplanes. This one is on, I think, a, probably a more important and more serious issue, which is people with chronic diseases and how the government uh, manages their care. These are people with things like uh, diabetes, hypertension, um, even depression to an extent, as asthma is another one. Um, it's a growing group in the province um, because we have an, a growing population, an old aging population, um, and they cost the health system something like $5 billion a year right now, and that's only going to go up. And the auditor's message was basically that the Alberta government needs to take very dramatic action, very immediate action to improve the care that these kind of people are getting. And he says, the good news is we know what we have to do. The, the winning formula is each of these patients need a family doctor, they need a care plan, and they need a team of care professionals that can do things like uh, give them exercise advice, nutrition advice, uh, mental health counseling, that sort of thing. And he says, if you do that, if you bring that all together, the, um, the results improve for the patients and the costs to the system go down because they're not going to the emergency room so often. Uh, and he says, you know, there are some places in Alberta that are doing this, uh, primary care networks that are, that are doing this for patients, but he also says the care is really fragmented. It's not consistently applied around the province. And he believes that the government and to a lesser extent Alberta Health Services has not taken enough responsibility to ensure that this kind of care is consistently applied around the province. Ah, so is this what family care clinics were supposed to solve? I think in part, yes. Um, the whole idea of a family care clinic is you have a whole team of professionals where people can go. Uh, the province actually just released a, a pretty good um, primary care strategy uh, and Merwin Saher said, yeah, it's a great strategy. What's missing right now is the leadership to implement it. Um, but it does very much focus on this kind of uh, comprehensive care for people with chronic diseases. Hmm. Is this something a lot of people were talking about before this report? Like, did he do this because there was a demand that he do so? Or why did he choose no, this topic? I, I don't think a lot of people have been talking about it. Uh, Fred Horn has been talking a lot about it. I'm not sure he's been getting much traction with it. But... He believes it's a real, it's a real epidemic. It's a real crisis, and he, he gave a really kind of interesting analogy. He said, if this kind of epidemic had happened all of a sudden within a year or a few months, there would be a massive response to it. The government would get involved, the uh, medical community would get involved, and there would be all kinds of headlines in the paper and on TV. But because this has come along gradually, because we've been living with it for so long right now, it's kind of gotten lost. Nobody's paying attention anymore. There was for sure another change at the top of Alberta Health Services this week. Uh, care to explain somebody what the change is? Like it's minor, but is it oh, major? Well, you know, cause there is no board, of course, anymore because Fred Horn fired the board because the board wouldn't roll back the salaries that they had previously negotiated with their senior staff. So uh, there were all kinds of shakeups at the top. John Cowell has been filling in for the last year 
as the guy who isn't the board. So the official term, administrator. Yeah, okay. And uh, John Callis, formerly with the Health Quality Assurance Council, um, he's now being replaced by Janet Davidson, who was... Well, she initially came as the official administrator, yes. then moved to be deputy minister of health, and is now going to have both roles for some so, reason. So, you know, arm's length. It's big. You can't see that on the radio. Yeah, um, very, how, no. how, how can the administrator also be the deputy minister? It doesn't make any sense. Mm, how long do you think Except this is as a temporary thing. Right, well, that, okay. Which is what it has to be. That I mean, you know, it was surprising when... Mr. Prentice during the campaign said he wanted to reestablish that board and and actually I do remember Fred Horn saying oh what a good idea a couple of days later <laughs> right. like let's not forget <laughs> without even reminding everyone that actually he's the one that took the board down for very good policy reasons I know there's a big there's a big discussion about which, which is better to have a board or not but he was the one who presumably believed we didn't need one but suddenly believed we do so, or the premier so, I'm not sure yeah yeah some, some combination of the two of them yes so that the signal seems to be that they expect Prentice to try to reestablish that board so that this position's all temporary. Yeah, I think it would be really difficult to try and recruit somebody to be the new official administrator for two months. Mm. So I think that's that's why this was you done. You know what I think is going to be difficult is if Prentice really wants to reestablish that super board, who is he going to get? I mean, right. what self-respecting person is going to go on there and say, well, look what happened to the last one. I mean, yeah. they were fired when they didn't carry it out. And really, there are some problems with that model. It's not like... You may not like the current one, but that wasn't perfect either because there was a lot of accountability no. problems. No. Yeah, and, and it, it inevitably built up this huge, expensive bureaucracy. Sorry, I just yeah. think that we yeah. need to acknowledge that that was not perfect. And it also no. allows yes. the politicians sitting in the legislature to say, oh, well, that's not my responsibility exactly. or I'm not to blame for that. So, the political yeah. distance that they wanted, but it actually isn't very good. I did note at the beginning of the episode that uh, former... I think he was CEO of Alberta right. Health Services. Stephen Duckett was back in Edmonton this week. He you was. don't suppose he was interviewing for the job, do you? I don't. I don't think so. No. 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 Oh okay. my so, God! So Keith, remind us who Stephen Duckett is and why. Tell us why he was in Edmonton for real. Okay, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Duckett was the former CEO of Alberta Health Services, the first CEO of Alberta Health Services, as it turned out. He was here only less than two years. Had a bit of a controversial run. Um, it was a mm, messy time in the healthcare system to put it uh to put it bluntly and uh a he, lot of those power struggles we talked right, we just talked about right right yeah. yeah and he he was a uh controversial figure he said some uh, wrong things at times uh had a sort of an abrasive approach at times and of course the most famous incident is he uh refused to answer reporters questions about big problems in the health system because he was eating a cookie right. um sort of it was a went viral on youtube for a <laughs> while um Anyway, he was back. Uh, he's now living in Australia, which is where he's originally from, but he came back to give a little lecture at the University of Alberta all about why the Alberta government uh, has failed to control healthcare costs and, and drive more innovation in its healthcare system. And he blames two things. Um, one is the province's wealth, because he says um, it just means that ministers have no incentive to say no to anything because they can afford everything. Uh, and secondly, he believes it's this kind of stagnant political culture we have in Alberta, where the PCs have been in power for 43 years. Uh, and he says that's that's been a problem because it's entrenched this kind of... Um, these power relationships where sound policy really takes a back seat to who you know and what's good for the politics of uh, of the party. 
And I have to say that even though Stephen Duckett once referred to me publicly as the Rita Skeeter of Canadian journalism, uh, he's not wrong about either of those two things. Well, he's wrong about calling me Rita Skeeter. <laughs> That's very wrong. But because I'm, you know, I'm not that fat. But um, almost, but not quite. Um, but he, he's not wrong about about the uh, crony culture in Alberta politics and the money making it very difficult to control costs. Where he's a tad disingenuous is not to admit his own uh, culpability and responsibility for driving costs. We'll remember that this is the guy who inspired that ridiculous queue-jumping inquiry with his allegations that there was rampant favoritism and queue-jumping, and then when called upon to testify, said, well, no, in fact, he didn't actually know of any examples, that he just sort of, you know, heard about this fourth hand. <sighs> so his conclusions are not incorrect. His narrative of how he got to them is a little self-serving. We will have to save more of this for future episodes. I, I know there'll be more to talk about with health reorganization. Right. It's like counting on snow in September. You know it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> let's move to good stuff from the gallery. That's right. our weekly segment where we suggest something that we think would be fun to read, watch, or listen to, or maybe not fun, but worth listening to. We usually try to give it a political connection of some sort, but sometimes it's just barely but we'll see what lands on the table today who wants to start well i can go first and my my selection's no big surprise i'm going to ask people to read the auditor's report on on chronic diseases um and so that you're not the only one who's read the auditor's report on chronic diseases it is actually very well written it's not in auditor speak at all it's actually in very plain language uh he lays out the problem uh and what needs to be done and and i'm suggesting this in part because when i did my news conference uh with the auditor i was the only reporter in the entire province who asked a question about the auditor's report. So I'd like to see more people actually pay attention to this. Mm, maybe it was just so thorough that no one needed to ask questions. I don't think that's the case. Uh, okay. Maybe Keith is just the best health reporter in the province. That is definitely not the case. <laughs> so no, I'm definitely is. Definitely is. <laughs> Sheila, your turn. Yeah, my good stuff is um, I took on my holidays a book of, written by Catherine Graham, who was the publisher of the Washington Post. And she became publisher when her husband died, and she took it over. And it's a wonderful story from her sort of per personal history, as well as a reminder of those turbulent Kennedy-Nixon era and the role of a newspaper in the good old days when they had as many reporters as they wanted. They could travel wherever they wanted. And, oh, my goodness, they put out several editions a day. So wow. it was a wonderful read and uh, very insightful into an era of politics. Perfect. Thank you, Sheila. That sounds good. I am going to go next. I just want to recommend, I think, what might be our first video game yeah. recommended on the uh, podcast. Or video game, I don't know if you call it, a, an app, a game, a gaming app. Um, I'm going to recommend the Aura of Power video game. Now, if you follow Al Alberta politics, you probably already know this. You already have played it. You've already downloaded it on your phone. But it is a really funny new video game, kind of based on the era of a certain premier and, named Allison trying to get to the Sky Palace while collecting diamonds, burning taxpayer dollars, and leaping over journalists. And I saw from my friends at the legislature that some of them were having trouble concentrating on their work because the game was so addictive. Even better, it's local. It is made by Edmonton Educational Games developer Rocket Fuel. And I guess their CEO and creative director, Jason Suriano, was inspired as he was reading the Auditor General's report. See, he, other people, you're right, Keith, other people do read the Auditor General's reports. So I've downloaded it. I like it. I think my children even kind of find it fun. So this Aura of Power video game available on iTunes. And Paula, can uh, you wrap us up? 
I can wrap you up. I'm going to recommend a, a beautiful read and a beautiful photo essay by Jenny Nordberg. It's in the Atlantic this month. Um, it's called The Underground Girls of Kabul, and it's about girls in Afghanistan whose parents dress them as boys so that they can go to school and that they can hold jobs. And it becomes a challenge because when they hit puberty, uh, then how do they negotiate that? And so it's a very beautiful and thoughtful piece. It's not a polemic. It's not asking you to condemn something. It's just, it's just talking about the daily lives and the daily struggles of these young women, some of whom are thrilled to live as boys and to have the freedom that that represents, and some of whom say they want long hair and they want pretty clothes and they don't want to pretend to be boys. Uh, it's a, a very beautifully crafted piece. and uh, It's I, a very good read. Yeah, mm. I, I highly recommend it for yeah, Emmy. And Keith, of course, who has been to Afghanistan, um, knows this file much better than I do. But it, for those of us who've never had... Um, that challenge or that opportunity, the Jenny Nordberg piece is, is well worth looking at. Okay, thank you. We'll put up links to all of those on our website and on our Facebook page. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. You can find a video segment from our conversation on the journal's website, edmontonjournal.com. You also can find previous episodes of the podcast on edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. Other internet places you can find the show are on the journal's SoundCloud feed, that is a good listening service and on iTunes where you can subscribe to the show so it shows up automatically every week once it's uploaded. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash the press gallery. That's where you can make a suggestion for what you would recommend for a good stuff from the gallery item. And by the way, I should thank Karen Unlin for providing the initial recommendation for my recommendation this week, the of Power Game. Thanks, Karen. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.